Welcome to the Silver Screen Happy Hour with the Wiegand Brothers. I'm Chris Wiegand. This is the show where my brother Jerome and I discuss two movies, something old and something new, and we enjoy a drink that pairs well with those films. So grab a beverage and join us for this episode of the Silver Screen Happy Hour. Okay, we're calling today's show Sound of a Lesser God, because on today's show we're going to be talking about the movie Children of a Lesser God from 1986 and Sound of Metal from 2020. I highly recommend, if you haven't seen Sound of Metal, um, after listening to this, you're probably going to want to watch it. Uh, Both my brother and I love the movie. Um, And if you haven't seen Children of a Lesser God, I would just recommend pulling up a Uh, YouTube trailer. Um, It's worth watching just for the performances alone. We had a bit of criticism that you'll hear during the podcast. But um, another thing I wanted to bring up at the front end of this show, um, one of the subplots in Sound of Metal is that Riz Ahmed plays a heavy metal drummer who's also a recovering addict, and so is his girlfriend. My brother mentions part of my history uh, with the recovery community, and I thought I'd just bring it up at the front end here. I do drink during these episodes, and um, I just wanted to kind of say, just bring it out front. I abused alcohol in uh, high school. I went to a rehab. Um, I was very involved with uh, 12-step recovery and um, very familiar with the community, and it helped me a great deal. And for like more than 20 years, I just abstained from uh, all drugs and alcohol Um, because as an adult, I realized it was uh, an issue of abuse and not outright addiction. Um, I do socially drink now. I just wanted to say that up front because it is brought up during the show. And uh, I don't want to give the wrong impression uh, for those in the recovery community that if you are an addict, that somehow um, you outgrow your addiction. Um, I don't think that's true. It's not true. It wasn't uh, true in my case. I um, did abuse um, drugs and alcohol as a teenager um, and have been able to uh, enjoy alcohol um, and partake uh, reasonably as an adult for the last 10 years or so. So that out of the way, um, my brother brings it up because he knew I'd uh, had to have an emotional connection uh, to uh, Riz Ahmed's character, Ruben, um, when it came to the recovery community. And I and I certainly did. Um, But I do discuss uh, a greater connection that I found with the movie that I'll talk about in the show. With that being said, let me get the film reel going with the recording of my brother and I. And the first voice you'll hear is Jerome asking about the beverages that we've chosen for the show. What are we drinking today? Today's uh, for (laughs) I felt kind of weird. trying to pick a drink for these two movies because number one in uh, sound of metal um, he's a recovering addict 
And I'm yes. like, I should probably be drinking, you know, bad AA coffee or something out of respect. But I, no, I, I, I have this this whiskey that it's kind of a novelty whiskey, I thought, but it's actually pretty damn good. Um, I think I like bourbons. And uh, this is uh, called Blackened by Metallica. Nice. They um, I don't know if they license someone to make their whiskey for them. Uh, Dave Pickerel or something. and it it's once it's it's made it's american whiskey finished in black brandy casks and um after it's it's put in the casks it it they put it in a room and they blast metallica 24 hours a day for as long as it ages i know it's kind of gimmicky but the it's a little harsh on the back end but the flavor is delightful so that's what she said let me i don't know you've got the cork i'm gonna i'm gonna record the pour here in front of the microphone Ooh. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of whiskey. <laughs> so I'm going the opposite of you. I'm going the cheapest, weakest. Well, actually, I went with Old Forester today. Old Forester is a straight uh, Kentucky bourbon. Okay. Um, bur- Kentucky bourbon whiskey. This actually isn't bad among the cheap whiskeys. So when you go to the store, you'll find this. On a higher shelf, okay, but the same price as the lower shelf stuff. So nice. <laughs> it's yeah, it's the highest class of the shitty cheap stuff. Gotcha. So I'm going old. I'm going uh, old Forester today. Yeah. So I also um, I also picked yeah. Blacken because um, you know the Sound of Metal is the one movie, um, and and the other one, um, Children of a Lesser God, is also about someone with. It's about a school for for the deaf. And but the sound of metal, I just thought the bottle was cool on the blackened uh, bottle because it's got the sound waves on the front of the bottle. And, um, and he's and he was a, a hard rock. Yeah, he's a, he a metal drummer. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it plays um, into just it. a little recap for anyone who hasn't seen these films. Uh, sound of Metal, of course, was up for Best Picture this past year. Uh, Riz Ahmed, the lead actor nominated for Best Actor. Um and, and a lot of, I don't want to say no-namers. I know Olivia Cook, the love interest has been in some stuff, but mostly no, newcomers mm-hmm. and people that you might have seen before. There's an actress from The Walking Dead that appears in this film, um, but um, uh, not a lot of big names, um, right. but really great film, wonderfully directed and written. Both were nominated, the screenplay and the direction, up for Best Picture, up for Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor. Uh you know, the list goes on. It actually won a couple of Oscars for the sound categories, which is interesting because it was. I think it was well deserved. The sound. Yeah, was, I'm going to talk about that as we get into it because. Okay. Anyways, but. And then its counterpart that we went with. We I know last week we talked about possibly clean and sober, but we ended up going with Children of a Lesser God, which is a, a film again about a, a deaf school and particularly the janitor of the deaf school and the speech teacher who comes. Uh, uh, to work at the school and eventually falls in love with the janitor. Um, I, another Oscar winner, Martley Matlin, wins Best Actress, first uh, hearing impaired actress to win the mm-hmm. Oscar, um, or at least to win Best Actress. I don't know. There might have been a hearing impaired person that won an Oscar in some other category. Was, I don't think so, though. Did, Paul Paul Ratchy, is that how you say mm-hmm. his name? Ratchy? Was he nominated so. for he Best He was nominated supporting? for Best Supporting Actor, yeah. He was fantastic. And... In that movie. and 
and in, in Sound of Metal. It, he was good in in all of it, but I believe I always believe that there's always that one scene that catapults somebody. Yeah. You know, when you see a scene, you're like, that's the scene that they got nominated for. You know, everybody talks about, you know, Denzel winning in glory. It's, it's I think the, I already the know single, what scene you're talking the about. The single teardrop from Denzel when he's getting whipped. That yeah. that alone, that's people say, well, that's what won the Oscar, that scene right there. Um, Paul Rachie, yeah, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce his last name. He got nominated on the scene that they showed at the Oscars when he was nominated. And it's the scene where he tells Ruben he can't stay at the house. Yeah. So that um, scene, I told my wife, Jesse, when we were watching it, um, you literally felt like he was talking to his own son. Yes. He was so there was so much emotion in his in his eyes, in his yep. voice. And I was like, and, you know, without and then when he leaves, lot, when oh. Ruben leaves, he has to breathe. Yeah. To keep yeah. himself from crying, it's. Oh, it's uh, I felt every it, second of that scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't. I I I caught it the first time, but you know, when your first time you're watching a movie, you're just trying to take in everything you can. Yeah. Uh, as far as story and keeping the story going, when you go back and watch it a second time, yeah. that's when you can really savor the little moments like that. Yep. And it wasn't until my second viewing that I was really blown away by that scene and that moment. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, noted, I noted that to, to her the first time we saw it. I saw it for the second time today. And I tell you what, so for anyone listening that doesn't know, um, I have an emotional connection to this movie because my wife, Jessie, is hearing impaired. Um, she's not totally deaf like the... Uh, like the uh, the actor, uh, like the character in the film. Um, but they did such a good job making you feel what he was experiencing with the sound art, like the editing of the sound. Um, yes. Even in watching it a second time, all, every, every noise was noticeable at the very beginning before I, before he went deaf. Um, he's percolating coffee. He's making a smoothie in, in the trailer after the music show. And every little sound is, is very um, present. It's like, they're very yeah. purposefully, making you hear all these things and then all of a sudden later when his voice when his when his hearing goes it just goes like that and it's startling to him but it's startling to you too because they mute out they muffle all the sound uh around him and yeah. uh and so what it did for me was i my jesse's always my wife's always told me what it's like when her hearing aids go out you know, it's like everything like hat, one of her ears just goes deaf or she doesn't have them in. And that it's like when she first got the hearing aids, um, she said it was really difficult to get used to at first because she was hearing everything that she never used to hear. Like driving in a car was more difficult because we had a cheap car that was really loud, you know. And uh, and so anyways, at one point in the movie, they do another thing where you get to experience that from his his point of view, where he's hearing all these noises that he didn't um, it's like um, I, I, a movie that does a really good job of that as well. Uh, that really got bagged by a lot of people, but I liked it was Superman Returns, mm. which was um, before all these new Supermans that you see. It was the first Superman to come out in a long time. Yeah. And it was supposed to be a direct sequel to Superman 2. Brandon Routh plays the Superman. 
And there's a scene where he's just sort of floating above Earth and he's hearing everything. He hears car horns, you know, because he's <laughs> Superman. So he can hear every, like, he hears babies crying and he's up above the Earth and he's hearing every little thing. And he has to try to block it out because <laughs> if he allows himself, he will literally hear everything that's going on on Earth. And, and it could be quite maddening. And I think, if I remember correctly, there's even a moment where a character, I think the love interest says something to, to him of that effect. Like, you know, do you, do, do you just hear everything all the time? And he says, I have to block it out. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just too much. Yeah. It's exhausting. So I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so because of that connection with it, I, I was able to feel a little bit of what my wife experiences. Now she's not completely deaf, but um, she definitely has severe hearing loss and, and, you know, to the point where they do consider her impaired or disabled or however you want to put it. Right. Um, so, but yeah, and because of that, it just, I had this emotional connection to the movie and then watching it a second time, I think, like you said, I was just following the story more the first time. The second time I was like, I don't know, I, I really felt it even deeper. So. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, exactly. And you really get a moment to take in all those little morsels that you missed the first time. I mean, I realize it's like that with every movie. Yeah. And some movies you watch a hundred times. I could watch Airplane right now and catch something I hadn't seen before. Like this is some movies you catch things you didn't even know you've seen the movie a hundred times and you're still catching things in the background you didn't notice. Yeah. Uh, the Shining is like that, too. You should uh, anybody wants to Google or uh, YouTube what Stanley Kubrick's direction was for The Shining. You'll see all kinds of weird stuff in the background you never even knew was there. <laughs> Um, so, so, you know, watching movies like that, you always get that this movie in particular on an emotional level, uh, you catch a lot of the things you might've missed the first time. Now I knew you would like this movie. I knew, and, and it had nothing even to do with Jesse's situation at all. Right, right. I knew you'd like it for two reasons. And I remember thinking two reasons on this, is what I told my wife, um, he's into heavy metal. He's into hard rock. Right. Uh, grew <laughs> up on that stuff. And recovering addict right 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 um which is odd because you drink during these shows so again <laughs> i know that we that you almost have to you, know, you should probably include that in the opening because yeah. we talk about it every week yeah and i don't want to spend too much time on yeah. it um so maybe it's just a line or two you could throw into sure. the intro i'll do that um but uh but i knew that because you had gone through all that yeah. so you understand yeah. about um the steps and the community of, right, of right. a recovering group uh, mixed with uh, a, a hard rock and rock and roll and heavy metal. I knew you would like the movie immediately. Right. Um, I liked the, It's funny. I, I know I've said this before. You can always tell. I can always tell in the first 10 or 20 minutes if I'm going to love a movie or not. Yeah. Um, uh, Spike Lee's Black Klansman that he won finally won his first Oscar for for Best of Adapted Screenplay two years ago. The first 10 minutes of Black Landsman, and I'm like, I can already tell I'm going to love this movie. Like, it's just, that's one of those movies. Sound of Metal was like that. Yeah. In the first 10, 15 minutes, I was already like, I'm I'm already strapped in. Like, yeah. I'm already, I'm going on the ride with this guy. I'm going on his journey already. And they don't waste any time. No. The, no. the opening scene of the movie, he's playing drums, and he's starting to have problems. Right, right. Right? And he thinks it's one of those things where, like, uh, you're on an airplane, you know? So he's trying to... You know, he's trying to get the he's trying to get his ears to pop. He thinks that's the problem. Right. You know, right. Um, so they don't waste any time with with his uh, condition. But, you know, as we've talked about in movies past and, and these shows that we've done, 
the key thing to look for is the spiritual and tangible goals, as I always yeah. talk about. And the give and take, every scene is different. Every scene, you know, they, they do uh, a, scenes of him really fitting into the community, right? Yeah. Helping teach the kids. And it'll be followed by a scene of him trying to sell stuff off so he can yeah. pay for this Sne- operation. Sneaking into the counselor's room and stealing the internet so he can uh, uh, check on his right. girlfriend or something. So there's, right, there's the will he or won't he? Will he accept who he is, won't right. he? And, and yep. he's fighting it and some he doesn't fight it the next scene he does fight it and it's back and forth and it's that tug of war that goes on through the whole thing that's just it's funny because i was thinking about that today when i watched it the second time um i noted the time that it happened because not every movie gives you the uh this the 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 you know what the goal is what the spiritual goal is in writing on a whiteboard but this one right. did. This one yeah. did. He wrote he wrote his name, Ruben. This the, the counselor wrote Ruben's name on the whiteboard. And then he wrote, Learn how to be deaf. <laughs> yeah. And, and and that's it's funny that you should mention that because uh you're right. Remember what we talked about a few weeks back about um how to uh, involve exposition without it being too obvious. And, you know, we use the example of Austin Powers where the guy giving all the mindless information, his name is Basil Exposition. So, you know, that, that kind of a joke. The writers of this movie kind of did that. They played on it. They said, you yeah. know what? We're not going to hide it. We're going to put it right up there. Yeah. yeah. This is what, you know, it's, uh, it's like. And it was very first... appropriate because he was literally, I mean, it was basically a, a like a rehab. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, Addicts quite often need things in black and white and spelled out for them. This is what your goal is. This is what we're yeah. doing. This is why we're here, you know, and just to cut yeah. through the BS. And yeah, um, it's it's almost like they're saying you already know how it's going to end, but let's tell you the journey, how he gets there. You know, uh, yeah. American Beauty, which won Best Picture in 99, I want to say. Uh, did a similar tactic. The first few lines of the movie is Kevin Spacey saying, I'm Lester Burnham and less than a year I'll be dead. So he's telling you in the first line of the movie how the movie ends, (laughs) but you go through the whole journey with him because you want to know how he gets there. And inevitably people forget that line, you know? And then when it happens at the end, you're like, he he told us, he didn't tell us. (laughs) I don't know why I'm surprised. That was a messed up movie, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, and this is a similar thing where you get to the end and you're like, we knew it. It was right there in front of us the whole time. We we knew it. We knew this, how it was going to end. We just, we needed to go on that journey with him, you know? So Um, just, just to put the, exclamation point on it i guess after watching it the second time i'm i'm still a little grieved and angry at who won best picture this year <laughs> then, yes because i think this one definitely should have been well, e- at least a con- you know a better contender shoot the last two weeks was it three it's been three weeks now we did trial of chicago seven yeah promising young woman and now oh, sound of metal uh, i know the three the three movies that probably could have won or should have won best picture well, and i would have been no mad i would have been sad if sad if any of those won any of those three yeah but i don't know nomad land there's actually more like i would have <sighs> been okay with uh well quite frankly any of them because <laughs> of all the nominees and this is no no knock on nomad land it was a fine film but it was fine but of, it of wasn't the films best that were nominated yeah. i had it last yeah exactly. of the films that were nominated um i still do have it last and i've seen nomad land twice now and yeah. I still, I can appreciate its direction. I can pre- appreciate its production design, its directing, its cinematography, all that stuff. Yeah. The acting. Yeah, acting, absolutely. Fine. 
everything. But Best Picture, to me, is a movie that you want to be enthralled with. And the only reason I watched Nomadland a second time was to see if there was something I missed. <laughs> because after I watched it the first time, I was like, really? I don't this, think I'm going to watch it a second time. This is the most boring. <laughs> it reminded me of The English Patient. It honestly did. I remember saying it was this year. It's this. It's this. Uh, our era's English Patient. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it plays like a documentary. It, yeah. it feels like a documentary and I, you know, I can appreciate a documentary. I'm never going to vote for a documentary for best picture. I don't think. I no. Mean, and, and the closest anything ever came to that was uh, when Michael Moore had Fahrenheit nine 11, they were talking about it was getting best picture votes. Oh, yeah. And that's the closest we've ever come to a document. But that was at such a pivotal time in our history and our right. political history in America. Um, you yeah, know, there's a that's lot of the, politics to play in that. Yeah. That's the, oh, that's the closest a, a documentary has ever come. Um, right. You know, I think there was some hype about a documentary called Hoop Dreams, which I think was back in 94, but that I, had no shot of getting Best Picture. Nomination. I know um, a coach that was in that movie. Uh, Hoop Dreams? Yeah, he's a friend of mine. Oh, nice. Nice. He, the I, biggest snub that year was that it didn't get nominated for Best Documentary. Yeah. And that and that was the it was people a were talking about movie. It was really and, long. People were talking about, you know, this could get some votes for Best Picture. It wasn't real serious, but they were like, eh, that's eh, okay. It's going to win Best Documentary. And then it didn't even get nominated. And that was the biggest snub, you know, of, of the year. That was the biggest thing everyone was talking about that year. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so uh, Sound and Metal, do we want to transition into the other one or do you want to keep going on Sound and Metal for a little bit? Yeah, you got a couple things you want Let's go ahead and transition. Okay. So uh, for this might be ahead of some people's time. We're talking 1986. Right. Children of a Lesser God, which, by the way, the, the, we the elephant in the room, we buried the lead. What a great title. Yeah. What a haunting title. Right. Right. These are forgotten children. Yeah. The, the the kids that nobody wants. You know, the, the, right. uh, the orphanages are filled with herring impaired children, you know, and it's, it's such a sad story. Uh, let me rephrase. It's a sad setup. Right, right. Where um, a lot of these these kids grow. You've seen some of the in the film. A lot of these kids are already have grown to adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. And, you well, know, and even they, the, the even the comments from the the uh, what's the actor's name that that uh, runs the school? Philip Bosco. Philip Bosco says to um, man, I'm only had half a drink here and I can't remember anyone's name. William Hurt? William Hurt. Lead. Yeah, he's yeah, the lead. So he says to William Hurt, um, you know, we're just trying to make, you know, make life a little little better for them or something like that. I can't remember the exact quote. It, that's and, and the funny thing is, you just touched on the theme because that happens in the first five minutes. Right. And, and what did we always talk about? It's always said to the lead. Yep. You know, yeah, a sort of a. Don't get crazy. A, don't try to, you know. Right. Just don't. Just don't, don't rock base, the boat. Don't rock the boat. Just, just teach them just how to speak, how to get along in life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How to, how to, right? How to get along, and because uh, he's a speech teacher, so he just, just how to, how to, you know, how yeah. to reach these kids. And what does he do? The first thing he does when he gets the chance, he falls in love with the janitor, who, by the way, <laughs> is the most volatile person on the school grounds. Right. That everyone, when they see her, they're like, "Oh, don't worry about her. She's just crazy." Right. right. They don't. But again. How often do uh, hearing impaired children get confused? And this is a theme that's brought up several times throughout that film. How many times are they thought of to be stupid? 
and they're not. How many times have they thought of to be crazy and they're not, you know, how many times uh, just the way that they're treated. So what uh, an amazing title. It was actually a play. The film was based on a play, but um, I've always thought a haunting title for, for a film. Um, Especially if you, you know, you're a religious person Mm -hmm. to think that, um, that they feel that way. You know, that they feel that there's a sentiment among their community that because of how we're treated by the rest of society, we must have a lesser God than they have. Right. right. You know, and that like, how sad is that? You know, um, really quick. I just I love the, the the relationship between William Hurt and that one student who he was teaching him how to speak by basically teaching him how to swear. <laughs> two things. Two things. That was great. Great two chemistry things. there. I, I was going to tell you, there's two, there's two things. I was going to bring that guy up and I don't know his name in real life, but uh, two things with that. Number one, that is a direct uh, success and failure that they got going on through the film. That's the success guy. You right. know who the failure guy is? The one that never gets resolved. Right, right. The, ki- the, the, the kid. kid that never opens up. Yeah, yeah. And, and you always think, oh, at the end of the movie, he's going to say something. Nope. He never does. Yeah. That's the one that got away. Yeah. And the swearing guy is the is the success, is, yeah. is the counter flip of that. And, <laughs> and in the la- one of the last scenes, he's like, Calls him a fuckhead. <laughs> yeah, fuckhead. And but what one of my other funny I, I told you already, one of my favorite uh, moments of the film, Philip Bosco as as William Hurt's coming down the stairs, he's chasing after Sarah yeah. and he's yelling her name and he turns and says, yelling at the back of a deaf woman. And he turns to the other guy and go, He went to all the best schools. Um there's another scene of Philip Bosco I love is is the scene with that guy. It's 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 at the midway point. It's where uh, parents are coming for like right. uh, like like uh, to visit, right? Um, to do a show, right? To do like a recital or something. Mm-hmm. And these parents are getting out of their car, and he's escorting them. And in the background is that guy, and he's swearing, "You fucking dipshit, whatever." <laughs> but Philip Bosco, the parents are looking like, "What's going on?" But Philip Bosco doesn't miss a beat, and he's looking at the building, and he's all, "Man, that's gonna need some new roofing." <laughs> You know, like, right. <laughs> he just to him, it's just all like it doesn't even face him anymore. Yeah. And uh, and that was uh, he's so great in that. It's just a small part, but it's he's so funny in that. And, and most of the movies he's in, he's got parts like that. So this is going to be a controversial take, I think, um, because the movie was widely popular. I felt like the ending was anticlimactic. Yes, the ending's actually terrible. I, I was like. <sighs> I was waiting for some big, you know, crescendo or something, and it just well, kind of teeters off and kind of the, the story, you know, slowly just completes. And then the credits come up. And I'm like, eh. first of all, the story doesn't complete satisfactorily, satisfactory, satisfactorily, <laughs> whatever. I'm not satisfied by how it finished. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Sure. Uh, from a writer point of view, when we talk about these tangible and spiritual goals, remember one of the other biggest differences is the the hearing impaired person in Sound of Metal is the lead. It's right. his story. Yeah. Uh, James, the character played by William Hurt, it's his story in Children of a Lesser God. Right. It's his story. He's the one that has to go on the journey and learn to accept Sarah for who she is. Right. He's the hearing impaired person, Marley Matlin. What makes it disappointing at the end is there's sort of this agreement that we'll meet halfway. Right. I'll accept you halfway. 
and you come the other half and speak for me. Well, she's damn it. She just told you the whole movie. She doesn't want to talk. Right. Like that's not who she is. So what's unfulfilling is that he still doesn't learn his lesson. He kind of learns it. I guess you could say he halfway learns it, but he's not, he doesn't fully accept it. Yeah. He's still fighting it. And for the credits to roll, you watch that and you're like, you know, I mean, again, sorry to ruin the ending. It was 1986. If you haven't seen it by now. (laughs) Exactly. Sorry. (laughs) Um, But, you know, uh, for the credits to roll after that, you, you think to yourself, um, you know, that sucks. That that sucks. And I yeah. think if that movie was made today, it would have a different ending because people are more tolerant now with disabilities. We were less oh, yeah. tolerant in the 80s about yeah. everything. And if that movie came out today, critics would say, what? Right. You're not accepting her for who she is? Who the hell are you to tell her who she is? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. In a, in a, in a climate that we have today with LGBTQ, you know, oh, yeah. uh, uh, accepting of who people are, that movie would not, well, that movie could be made today, but it would have a, a, dra- a d- yeah. drastically different ending. There is a scene in that movie where um, after having it out with the, the uh, principal of the school, William Hurt, said, well, she's going to move in with me. And then he right. just goes and tells her, pack yep. up your stuff. You're moving in with pack me. Pack your shit up. You're coming with me because I, I like, said so. I was I was kind of in shock. I think my jaw dropped. I was like, how's this going to play? And it just right. kind of plays. It just because, does, they don't even really saying, address it. Because we're used to 2021 oh, world. Oh, hell yeah. You know? I was like, come 19, on. She would have kicked your ass. <laughs> in 1986, <laughs> a man made those decisions, yeah. damn now, it. She does address <laughs> what he said later. But it's sort mm-hmm. of uh, it's not really addressed well. I just feel like she brings right. it up. She brings right. it up, and it's like, but but like you said, he didn't learn his lesson, right? It's like now oh. that now when I first saw that part, and I don't want to say first saw because I had seen this movie a bunch of times back in the eighties, but I hadn't revisited it until this week uh, for this show. So when I let me just rephrase, not the first time I saw it, when I revisited it again, I remember thinking in that scene, this is part of that push and pull. Uh, he's not learning his lesson, right? And other scenes, they don't involve her. It's the scenes of his students. Right, right. Where he's sort of learning this, okay, I got to figure out who they are and and sort of cater my teachings to each one of them individually to get them to express themselves. So it's almost like to his students, he has way more tolerance than he has for Sarah. Yeah. He has no tolerance for Sarah being who she is and that's the lesson he needs to learn and he fails to learn it and right. yes that happens near i want to say i don't want to say the climax of the film but uh, near the end right it's almost near act yeah three, i mean where they I have think, this big blow up yeah and i think that's where they intended the climax to be because it, that's when they had their big blow up and everything but it just didn't it didn't land you know yeah so again if that so, movie was made today it would be those scenes would be way different so what awards did that movie win uh, I think it won just Marley Matlin for Best Actress. Yeah, well, and she was phenomenal, so I give yeah. her, totally give her that. Um, but yeah. I don't, I don't blame him for not giving it Best Picture because of that alone. You know, you, you know what's interesting too is, um, well, you know, uh, so <laughs> two things on that. William Hurt, that was in the middle of a monster part 
uh, career for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, he had just he had done the big chill. He had just won the Oscar for Kiss of the Spider Woman. He does Children of the Lesser God. The year after that, he does Broadcast News. I mean, there was no bigger name. Not even Jack was as big as William Hurt for those four or five years in the middle of the eighties. Yeah. Um, so it was huge to get him right. Um, and of course, he got nominated for Best Actor, as he seemed to almost every year he was nominated for Best Actor for the and the other movie. Uh, the Accidental Tourist, I think, came out after a year after Broadcast News. So, like, he was, was just knocking them out left and right. Was he the one that played the doctor? The doctor in the movie The Doctor. That wasn't until, I think, 91, though. Oh, okay. He, like, um, lost his voice or something in that movie, ironically. So he didn't lose his voice, but he he had cancer of oh, um, the voice box. Yeah, yeah, and he thought he was going to Cancer of the voice, voice box. Yeah. Um, which is another really good movie. I mean, I, William Hurt's awesome. There's, yeah, there's you know, yeah, very yeah. few movies he sucks in. I don't know if there is any movie he sucks in. <laughs> but... Um, but what's interesting is, of course, he got all the press. He's the lead. She was a no-namer at the time. Yeah. And she didn't. She can now, but she couldn't speak mm. when that movie came out. Interesting. She, um, it's customary for the person that wins Best Actor to present the award for Best Actress the next year and vice versa. Right, and right. so she wins Best Actress. She took a year of speech training. Wow. Because when she, it was her turn to present the Oscar in 1987. Wow. So that's a hot Michael take. Douglas, who that's won a hot for take ho- for this podcast. Pull that up on YouTube. That'd be <laughs> worth watching. It's on YouTube. You yeah. can watch Marley Matlin, pres- or you just, just YouTube, Michael Douglas wins Best Actor because it'll show her present the Oscar. Okay. She, for the first time, she's able to speak and she get and she says all that. Now it's not very, you know, it's, she struggles. Sure. Sure. But she gets it out and, and she's able to say each actor's name. That's cool. And, and she even, uh, you'll see it when you YouTube it. Um, it's, we're getting way off subject here, but we do that. We rant sure. and we, we, we go on a little, uh, uh, whatever you call that, it. And that's an amazing accomplishment for someone. I mean, if she's never had hearing, how do you learn to make those sounds? Right. It's right. Amazing. And she, and she yeah. worked for about a year. I think they said for her to do this. And the, uh, one of the nominees for best actor that year, Michael Douglas wins for mm-hmm. wall street, but one of the nominees was Robin Williams in good morning, Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows that the tag of good morning, Vietnam was him yelling that into the microphone. Good morning, Vietnam. Right. He says it throughout the time. He's playing a real life character. When she presents the Oscar, she says it like that. Oh, really? And it blows the whole crowd away, including Robin Williams. Everybody just roars. <laughs> they love it. She says it like that. That's um, awesome. So I you can imagine that. somebody who's hearing impaired yeah. trying to get, trying to speak, yeah. but saying Robin Williams in good morning, Vietnam. Like she even nails that part. So, I mean, hats That's... off to her. And of course, people that are fans of the West Wing know that she's been around since then. Very, she's in a lot of stuff and she was on the West Wing for a long time. Yeah. Um, great actress but anyway uh getting back to storyline yes the leads he's the lead and he's not the hearing impaired one it's his journey though um but yes if that movie was made today it would have drastically different ending and it would have a drastic different parts i don't think he would get away with she's moving in with me and then the next scene pack your shit here's your (laughs) bags pack them up you're coming with me i was horrified i was like oh my god (laughs) yeah yeah let the man make the decisions around here 
Like wow. what? What what decade is this? And you realize, oh yeah, it's the eighties. It's nineteen eighty six, which wow. wasn't really good back then either. But exactly, you yeah. know, I mean, we're talking that's like a fifties notion right there being played out in the eighties. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think I want to talk too much about the ending of The Sound of Metal because it's no. a, such a new movie. Um, I yeah. I will say I we loved, keep making that mistake. <laughs> I loved it. Um, it's funny because there's different things that went through my mind the first time I saw it that I I thought maybe they would do and they didn't. But I think the way they did it was brilliant and perfect, and it doesn't need to be changed or should yes. have been should have been any different. So, um, so I'll just say that, and maybe you know, hopefully, if someone hasn't seen it, they'll they'll go out and see it. And, and, and again, um, I'm looking at this blinded through uh, screenwriter eyes. Yeah. Right. So when I see the ending of a film that I think uh, nails its spiritual and tangible goals, when I when I get to the ending of a film, I know when the credits are going to roll. There are some people who are like, oh, I can't believe it ended there. Like when I when yeah. for me, when it hits that point, I'm always like, that's it. That, where, give me the credits because that yeah. he's nailed it. He he got to you know I felt that way with uh, Midsummer, which my wife and my mother and everybody cannot stand. I thought it was a fantastic film. It was my favorite movie of the year it came out. But it's another one of those really weird movies that if anyone watches, you're like, that movie was too weird to enjoy. Not me. I <laughs> went out and bought it on Blu-ray. I still, seen it. I still haven't seen it. <laughs> I've seen it several times. But that's one of those movies where it, it follows that screenwriting rule of spiritual versus tangible goals. And when she gets to the end... And that moment hits, and you know it. You're like, that, that's it. That's it right there. Close, credit, close credits. That's, that's perfect. And it nails it, and the credits roll. And everybody in the theater is like aghast. Like, what the hell did I just see? I'm sitting there with a big smile on my face going, it's perfect. That was the perfect way to end this movie. Um, so, you know, hats off to the you know filmmakers of that movie as well. Um, but Sound of Metal was one of those moments. When I when you get to the end, I was like, "That's it's perfect. End it right there. I don't want to see another scene. Yeah. Like, you know, don't give me anything else. I want to see Fade to Black right now. Yeah. You know, um, and it was perfect. So hmm. anyone that hasn't seen it, see it. And if you haven't seen Children of a Lesser God, definitely see that for, you know, the performances. Oh, Although yeah. You might, you might be a little put off by some of the 80s style writing. <laughs> um, it's worth it. I mean, yeah, just just for the performances alone. And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth to see. And what uh, a what a beauty. God, Marley Matlin is so beautiful in that movie. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's an attractive woman anyway, but the way uh, some of the moments that they shoot her, um, you know, like when she's in the pool, yeah. like just the, just her eyes, because she's she doesn't want him to see her naked. Right. Because she's skinny dipping. Right. So when she sees him come in, she swims over to the edge of the pool. Right. Just so just up. her little face, like a little like a little like a little mouse, her little <laughs> face is sticking up over the edge of the pool. And all you see is her eyes. Yeah. But some of the most beautiful stare, the most beautiful stare I've ever seen from anyone. Right. Um you know, um, yeah, she's just she's just beautiful. They, another interesting uh, scene about the give and take. He's supposed to learn on this journey, and it's every other scene he should be getting something. The scene where she's dancing by herself, yeah, yeah, that a, was cool. a, a sea, a crowd of people around her, and he's just standing. He's not dancing with her at all. He's just standing there watching her. Well, he began to dance, but he was so c captured by her right. 
and the way she was so into feeling the music because she couldn't right. hear it. She was Just feeling the vibrations music, off the floor and she had her eyes closed and she was swaying and doing all these things with her arms and her body. And it was, it was beautiful. And he was just yeah. struck by it. Yeah. That was a cool scene. That was really yeah. cool. Yep. So, all right. So what do you got for me? So, uh, our six degrees of separation. Um, so we pick two people or one person from each movie. See if you can connect them within six degrees. And you, we want, what are the rules again for this? Uh, a degree is a feature length film, right? We okay. don't use TV shows and we don't use directors. Yep. So unlike the Kevin Bacon game, which cheats and uses both of those, <laughs> yeah. no directors and so, no, uh, I know we could use a director if they appeared in a film, if they, appear they have to film. appear yeah. in a feature length film as an actor or actress. So who are the two actors we picked for this movie? Um, it was, um, I forget the, the names. We I, we we talked R- about this. Riz earlier. Ahmed is the lead in. Uh, now now keep in mind for anyone listening, we just threw this one together because we didn't really have one. Uh, so we did Riz <laughs> Ahmed and then Philip Bosco, the from, principal, uh, the, the principal of, of the God. school, yeah. um, uh, from Children of Lesser God. And then you know we started doing the show, and I didn't really think about it. But now when you think about it, th- these are really quite easy. Okay. Um, because uh, Riz Ahmed, the first time I ever saw him, by the way, was in Nightcrawler. Um, he might have been in stuff earlier than that, but that's the first I remember seeing him. The movie with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, which is a, another creepy movie uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, I think we talked about this before. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal uh, is an uh, opportunistic. He's looking for ways to make money, right? So in the beginning, he finds all these things where he can steal and try to sell them, right? Mm-hmm. So he steals and tries to sell. He's a swindler. He's scummy. He's a shady criminal but he gets this idea of he learns about uh journalists making money selling their the tapes that they that they make with their vhs camcorders uh selling them to news stations Mm -hmm. like if they're if they're the first on the scene of a car wreck Mm -hmm. and they get all the footage of the bodies hanging out they could sell that to a radio to a tv show uh, a news station and make money well, he starts getting, he starts blurring the lines of, well, what if I create oh, God. crime That's creepy. and then be the first yeah, to ever record that. it? Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Anyway, Riz Ahmed is the guy he hires to be his assistant. Oh, wow. And he tells him, you're going to be doing all this crazy shit. And by the way, I can't pay you. You know, it's just oh, like an God. internship. And uh, so Riz Ahmed has a great little supporting role in that movie. So, um, so I immediately, when you said Riz Ahmed, I thought of there ain't much to go with with uh, Sound of Metal, right? Yeah, There's not yeah. a lot of uh, opportunity there. But Nightcrawler, if it leads me to Jake Gyllenhaal, there is. And then, of course, I immediately thought of uh, Brothers, uh, a movie he was in with Tobey Maguire, where uh, another haunting film about uh, uh, post-war soldiers, um, Tobey Maguire uh, is the husband of... Um, Nicole Kidman, or not Nicole Kidman, Natalie Portman, right, right. and Jake Gyllenhaal is his brother. Okay, and there's sort of like this. I'm not gonna go too much into it. You can yeah. kind of figure it out here. We're talking about you know possible uh, family drama, love triangle kind of thing. So Tobey Maguire, and then of course one of my favorite Michael Douglas movies is Wonder Boys. Wonder Boys. I wrote, I read the book while on a plane. 
on the plane on a five-hour plane ride from L.A. to Detroit. I read the book. Uh, I can't. No, I can't remember the writer's name. No, the author's name is. I think about it. But the movie Wonder Boys with Michael Douglas, mm-hmm. Tobey Maguire, Robert Downey Jr., and Philip Bosco wow. as a, a supporting role in that. So I immediately thought of that. So it so didn't. De- so was that five so degrees? If you go, uh, uh, Wonder Boys. Uh, takes you to Tobey Maguire Brothers, takes you to Jake Gyllenhaal, which is Nightcrawlers, Riz Ahmed. So it's only three, actually. Um, well, you got to count the two movies that we started with. Nightcrawler. No, I didn't no. start with Sound of Metal. Huh? I didn't start with Sound of Metal. I used Nightcrawler. Riz Ahmed oh, is right, in Nightcrawlers. Right, 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 right. Right. So gotcha. Nightcrawlers, uh, Nightcrawler, gotcha. and then uh, Brothers. Oh, so you just, yeah. And then Wonder Boys. Brilliant. So uh, three. And again, the stipulation is it's probably less than that. If you really want to dig <laughs> yeah, deep, you really do some homework. Yeah, you really want to do homework. You could probably nail these down to one or two degrees. Uh, but just you know, quick enough top of my head, I, I, I almost like, get ashamed of myself if I need all six degrees to do it. <laughs> I kind of, I, I'm very ashamed because I know it can be done in less. But sometimes it's just like, ah, oh, let me just get it over with. I'll just go the long way. You know, as long as I get it within six, then it's fine. But you know, someday we won't be able to play this game. You know, when there's like 400 years of movies. <laughs> we'll always be able to play the game. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, but you think 400 years of movies, you'd be able to connect two actors Yeah, because some degrees. asshole is going to pick something from year one <laughs> and try to connect it from year 400. Right, like me. I'd do that to you. Yeah, you're going to be like, all right, Charlie Chaplin with some dude that's not even alive for another 200 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, good job. Yeah. Well, this was fun. Um, so for the... For the listeners, if you can think of, uh, uh, or if you could, if you can do your homework, tell us how we can get it in less than. <laughs> but I don't play the gotcha game. Don't play the gotcha. Remember, we're not playing the gotcha game. <laughs> don't don't come up with two actors that were secretly in a movie together yeah. where they were both background extras, and then say, "Hey, what about these two? And then when I do it in four, you go, "Ah." It's actually one. Like, okay. I don't play the gotcha game. <laughs> I want names where you generally don't think these two people can be connected. That's the whole point. Can you find two that cannot be connected? Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. So if you can think of two, uh, send us a message, uh, Stump Jerome. And uh, it's all fun. I used to do this just for the. You're going to get some obscure, like, Japanese extra from a foreign film in 1928. And they're going to be like, yeah, connect that with, uh, you know, Pauly Shore. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and you will. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm sure it can be done. I'm sure it can be done. Yeah. I used to do this for fun 20 some years ago when I was working at Chrysler on the line and had a break and I was bored. I'd text you. Hey, connect these two actors and wait for the text to come back. <laughs> Before we had social media, we had text yeah. messages. Yeah, I remember back in the day I had, uh, before the internet, or before I widely used the internet, I'm sure it was around, I just didn't have it in my house, I had a uh, uh, Leonard Maltin's uh, book of yeah. movies, like a thousand movies, <laughs> and there were like quick one or two sentences, uh, critique of each film, there's yeah. like a thousand movies in there. And I remember thinking, how the hell did he review all these? But anyway, you know, whenever he probably didn't, he probably had a team of people. Yeah. But uh, each one had, you know, one to five stars. 
and it had the year it was made and and the first few name people in it like three or four of the actors that were in it and then a brief description a thousand films so whenever somebody would give me a six degrees i would use that that was my textbook of let me see if i can't figure something out let me look through here and think about what i had to go on there (laughs) two or three names at best right of each film and try to figure out and the rest I had to go just on knowledge of movies that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. I was so, thoroughly impressed 25 years ago when we played this game. It's much harder than it's so much easier now. It, it became almost like a, what do you call it? A parlor game or something. I would, I would ask people at work, Hey, give me two actors names. I'll connect them. And I wouldn't connect them. I'd text you and have you connect them. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, me and a, a, a buddy of mine, uh, we, we used to do that where he would have a name in his head and I would have a name in my head. Okay. You know, that, that, that way we weren't like prejudging. We'd say, All right, tell me when you got your name. Okay, I got my name. Okay, one, two, three. We'd both say the names out loud and then we would both try to do it and see who could do it first. Nice. And then less time. So <laughs> the good old days. Yeah, it's fun. Well, that does it for this episode of the Silver Screen Happy Hour. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know what movies you'd like to hear us discuss and review. We'd also like to hear your Stump Jerome Six Degrees feedback and questions. You can find us on Instagram at Silver Screen Happy Hour, and you can email us at silverscreenhappyhour at gmail.com. And before you send us a message um, with your criticism of the way we were pronouncing uh, Paul Racy. Yes, that is how you pronounce his name. It's Paul Racy. Uh, I want to apologize uh, for screwing that up. He's such a brilliant actor, and I'm embarrassed that neither my brother or I knew how to pronounce Paul Racy's name from The Sound of Metal. And uh, I just wanted to throw that in there as a little correction fact check at the end of the podcast. Uh, so... I'm going to hopefully do that at the end of uh, all these podcasts as I re-listen to them and edit them, uh, find mistakes, and uh, do a little fact check. But again, this is an opportunity for you, the listener, to get in touch with us and let us know where we screwed up. (laughs) Um, It's part of the fun of doing this, and uh, it helps us to know others are listening. So please get in touch with us and let us know. Again, thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm Chris Wiegand.